This is games in schools and libraries. The podcast about board, card and digital games and the ways in which they can find a place in schools or at the local library. Hosting provided by the Games for Educators website www.g4ed.com Hello and welcome to Games in Schools and Libraries. My name's Giles Pritchard. I'm a teacher at uh, St George's Road Primary School in Shepparton, Victoria, uh, Australia, if you can't tell by my accent. And I teach uh, grade 3-4 classrooms, so kids between the ages of about uh, 7 and 9. And I uh, use games for a variety of purposes in that classroom. So whether it's supporting curriculum or uh, small group activities, a games club and our games days, uh, we use games for lots of different things. You can find me around the internet as Caradoc uh, on BoardGameGeek, Caradoc P on Twitter, and at my blog, castlebymoonlight.blogspot.com. And I'm Donald Dennis. I'm a games and technology librarian at the Georgetown County Library Systems, where I run gaming programs, technology programs, and also our small business center, which is kind of unrelated. Uh, So I apologize. It is summertime here in America, and our kids are out of school. So if you hear bumps and thumps it is my son and his friend making lots of noise in the background it's it's surprising that it's this quiet now (laughs) excellent now i've got the same uh, issue if there are any sounds in the background it's likely my kids waking from their slumbers and uh motoring about the house so but uh, also joining us on the microphone you might hear some bumps and uh noises from a different microphone today uh, we have a guest back. He was in episode 19, Brian Mayer. Welcome. Hey, good morning, everybody. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, Brian Mayer, Gaming and Library Technology Specialist for the Genesee Valley Educational Partnership School Library System here. I use uh, games quite a bit. We have a huge game library that we uh, work with classroom teachers and school librarians and help integrate and connect kids to the curriculum, do game design programs, and a bunch of other kind of boring web design and technology training stuff as well, too. That sounds fantastic. We chatted a little bit before we started recording about the game designs uh, and, and what you do in, in that regard, and we'd love to have you back for another episode to talk in more detail about about that whole process of getting kids to design games. So that would be fantastic. But today, Don... We've recently had a huge convention here in the United States, uh, I think probably the biggest library convention in the world, uh, the American Library Association Summer Annual. And Brian did a lot of heavy lifting and activity events. And so at the, at the ALA Annual, uh, Brian ran the ALA Play event where we contacted some game companies and they sent a little bit of prize support or a little bit of uh, you know activities some some games of their own and of course brian ran his own game and so brian would you talk to us about all this tell us what happened what special prep did you need to do and you know what what sort of the outcomes were at the event sure um ala play is an event we've been running for 
five years now, I believe. In fact, it was uh, we were in Chicago this year, and the first ALA play debuted in Chicago, so it was kind of coming home. Um, it's a large gaming event that we have every year prior to the actual convention. It kind of takes place before the events kick off. Um, and initially it started as a way to kind of introduce and showcase uh, gaming programs to librarians. It was part of a games learning and library grant from Verizon. Uh, the ALA got a lot of money uh, from Verizon and some other partners uh, to help explore uh, gaming, uh, learning libraries, and how they kind of intersect and can be supported through different programs. So, Brian... To just jump in there for a second, when you say gaming, what what can you break that down? You're talking about the use of digital games in the libraries, gamification, uh, cat juggling. <laughs> uh, no, well, it was it was it was meant to explore um, just all the various ways that gaming can kind of be represented, uh, both analog and digital, in terms of programs and um, design. Uh, initially, really, it was kind of focused on what a gaming program would look like because it was really in its infancies of what. Um, kind of games could be and represent in libraries, um, how they could take place as a program, connect with uh, kids and with students and with patrons. Uh, So in the earlier years, it was really just showing different ways that you can set up and uh, kind of run game programs. So you had uh, tables set up with modern board games. They were very new for people. It was kind of introducing them to kind of these new style of of games that they weren't necessarily familiar with. They also would be showing um, how you can kind of use a projector and a large screen to kind of take the kind of isolated game, video game experience and make it a larger group dynamic thing. Um, and so early on, that was great. But then um, that sort of kind of... Uh, that learning experience lessened because more and more familiar people were familiar with what a gaming program would look like in their library. Um, and so we started bringing it back this year um, to kind of developing and showcasing more learning experiences again as well too, which is kind of a goal of mine this year was starting to kind of bring back takeaways and, and give people more learning opportunities of, of different ways to explore gaming because I think we're growing and it's not just simply having a gaming program, but different kind of ideas and concepts related to, to gaming programs. Um, so we had, um, Jeff Ginger, who works for the Champaign-Urbana community fab lab. They're showing, uh, some technology things like 3d printing, um, scanning to print, um, laser cutting stuff. Um, he was uh, also talking about how you can use like game programs like Spore as modeling tools to help build your models for 3D printing. So he was set up and he had his 3D printer and his elements as well there. Um, and we had uh, also some, as Donald mentioned, some community support from the game publishers as well, too. So it's really growing to be a game showcase, a program showcase, and a, a learning space as well, too. Sounds fantastic. Uh, so this year we had some great support. We had um, we had Mayfair Games uh, sent a good number of games that we were able to showcase and run for everybody. Stronghold Games as well, too. Uh, Pathfinder, or Piezo Publishing was also there at the actual convention itself, uh, showcasing some of their Pathfinder books. And they actually ran a demo of their upcoming Pathfinder Adventure card game, which isn't out yet. And uh, that was wildly popular. We also had uh, people running uh, Cthulhu RPG programs. There was, uh, ALA's got a large kind of two trunks full of 
games that we kind of are slowly building up for each convention so that that kind of travels around for different conventions. Also, USAopoly sent some games as well, um, and I was demoing my own game there, and Scott Nicholson was there doing face painting in the corner. We also ran a little mini design game contest. We had custom dice print up for the uh, ALA Game Roundtable, which is kind of a interest group of people who are interested in games across all library types can belong to that kind of roundtable section where they kind of talk and discuss and share ideas. And so we ran a little mini uh, game design contest that Scott Nicholson came up with um, using those dice where uh, people that came would come and design a little mini game using those dice. They would kind of write it down on an index card, put it up on the wall, and then there were little gold stars. And if people liked your design, you get a little gold star put on it. And then uh, the People that had the two people who had the most gold stars actually got some giveaway prizes at the end of the evening. Fantastic! So, what um, programs or what what things were you running there, and and um, what was the, the the aim of them, and and the outcome? How did they go? Uh, well, the goal, uh, really, my my goal was running the event and making sure that it happened. So, coordinating with everybody, um, getting people interested, talking with with uh, Donald, who was a wonderful help, and other uh, game publishers and individuals who had devoted their time, um, and just making sure everything kind of came together and uh, facilitating and hosting and. Uh, jumping on the microphone and kind of running things. And I also uh, really just kind of bounced between doing those duties and uh, running demos of my own game, which I had uh, several groups run through and and play kind of a a short scenario through the beginning of the game, and they had a blast with that as well, too. So really, by the end of the evening, it was probably one of our best-attended events that we've had. It was packed throughout the evening, even though we had dystopian literature in the next room, and that is wildly popular with librarians. But still, we represented, (laughs) um, and we were packed all evening long, and so... uh, Really, the outcome was just the amount of people that were there consistently, and everything was always filled and running, and people had a really great time. And that's the goal, is to get people in, provide this kind of dual-sided thing of, one, it's this way to get together and socialize, play games, find new new, new resources, um, and um, also come away with learning new things and having things to take back to your libraries, to your schools, uh, to run programs there. Well, that's so very exciting. I'm sorry I missed it. Yeah, I wish you were there, too. You would have had a blast. Well, sadly, events conspired to keep that from happening. Well, what uh, what was the what was the turnout? Actually, I don't I don't know the actual numbers. I think uh, I don't know. It was packed, though. I mean, it, that's that's kind of what I was implied to Giles was. I mean, it was packed the whole time. So I think that's a good indicator. So you mentioned, you know, takeaways and things like that. Brian, um, what what sort of things are you hoping um, that the librarians attending this event will be able to go back to the libraries and, and take with them? Aside from, you know, obviously the, the objective and, and from, you know, your own enthusiasm is obvious and, and the inspiration, I, I suppose, that you want to get across in, in related, relation to all of these different things in, in libraries. But what are some of the things that you hope to see come out of this actually taking place in libraries and so on? I think uh, now the goal is to get people to think beyond simply just running games um, in their libraries as, as programs or ways for uh, connecting with students, uh, whether it be through a club or using it within the classroom for connecting to curriculum, and start thinking about different 
ways that games can kind of play a part in their library. So the, the, the design aspect and the maker spaces, which is a big movement here in the United States, um, in public and academic libraries. And I'm hoping eventually it'll make its way into school libraries too, where the libraries become a space for creation, um, whether it be through, uh, you know, doing like woodworking or 3D printing, um, or even, even game design kind of falls in that role, um, with, uh, digital and board games where you're actually creating content, learning how to make things in libraries. Um, so they're seeing that there's different ways to approach gaming rather than just simply running a gaming program. And there's different varieties or style of games, you know, running RPGs, running LARPs, um, looking at little tiny design contests, um, just kind of expanding what games and libraries can look like and starting to uh, give librarians, uh, you know, initially it was, hey, this is what a gaming program could look like, you know, running some board games, having multiple tables, how it looks, facilitating conversation and communication. This is what video game programs can look like and kind of what a tournament might look like in a library and expanding those definitions so that we can start looking at more programs and more ideas and expanding the concept of what gaming and library looks like even more. And so that's, that's the goal at this point is giving librarians an idea, more ideas, um, more directions, more avenues, more paths to take with, with gaming at its core. Sounds great. So is there, you, you talked about, you know, this group of, of um, people that are interested in game design. Um, obviously this is, um, you know, an ALA event. Um, is there a, an online or a broader community that you also tap into that allows this communication to continue and this, um, I suppose, the dispersal and, and, and of different ideas and inspirations and so forth? Is there a, a place for that to keep going beyond these events? Each of the groups has their own kind of community space within... Um, the American Library Association. So there's the Games and Gaming Roundtable has a, a large community connect space where they can continue these conversations after the event. Uh, there's also a smaller, what they call an interest group, which is not an official group, but just kind of a group of people that are interested in doing things. And they're the uh, Games and Game Making Interest Group, and they're slowly starting to kind of make a partnership. Um, they're just in their infancy. Um, I attended their meeting uh, after ALA Play. And so they, they have a discussion space as well, too, talking about, you know, what games and game making might look like in library programs across different library types. Um, and so each of them have their own kind of conversational spaces, but they're also kind of so – some of the members are newer to – games and game programs and are just starting to get interested. And so I think one of the things moving forward is going to be kind of starting to build connections to the gaming community and gaming conversation spaces that take place outside of the library space. So uh, making connections to Board Game Geek, to the Game uh, the game Designers Guild. Um, I forgot what the name of... Donald, do you know what the name of the, the game design website that exists separate from BGG. I forget what it's called. Uh, the Game Designers Forum? Is that yeah, the I one? Think, I think that's the one that I'm thinking of. But starting to make those connections with kind of external um, game sites, game communities, game design groups, um, so that we can start building some overlap because we're serving 
the same, you know, the same spaces, the same communities and, you know, providing the libraries as a space for these events to take place, tapping into the makerspace resources that libraries have, public and academic libraries. You know, I think sometimes a lot of times game designers and people interested in game designs aren't familiar with some of the resources that their local libraries have. Right. I think you're talking about the uh, the site is a BGDF for ba- Board Game Designers Forum, but you may be talking about a different place. No, no, that's exactly the place that I was talking about. I just forgot what it was. Well, all right. Uh, so in addition to the the play event, were there other seminars and stuff during the course of the event that, that they talked about? these things or was it you said there was one before and there's this one after but how much is gaming a part of what ala promotes at this time Uh, right now i think it is has some attention um there were definitely a handful of events and workshop seminars uh available at ala Uh, i was part of a panel of experts that was uh, hosted by the Game Roundtable. Uh, Dr. Scott Nicholson was a part of that, as was Jeff Ginger and myself. And we were talking about kind of game making and game design in libraries um, and talking about what those programs might look like and how to advocate for them to your administrators and to your um your bosses. There was also a look at some game, there was conversations and talk about gamification in libraries as well, uh, with uh, several people uh, talking about that. Um, the game, and there were interest groups and meetups as well, too. So there are conversations and there are people that are interested, and there's overlap um, with gaming culture and with the uh, graphic novel and cosplay group with the makerspaces. So there's threads of it that kind of spread throughout, and there are sessions that are dedicated to gaming in libraries. It's not the strongest presence, but it definitely is there. That sounds fantastic. It is exciting. So is there anywhere, um, you know, you talk about all these these fantastic resources. For those um, people who aren't necessarily members of the ALA, whether they be, you know, teachers listening to this podcast or um, librarians not from uh, the United States, is there anywhere they can sort of have a look at or access any of these resources or um, even, you know, bridge over and make contact with this sort of um, stuff going on over there? Uh, well, you can, um, if you're not a member of the American Library Association, if you're not from uh, the United States, you can still um, create an account and log into uh, the kind of connection space for the American Library Associations and, and the groups that are there. So you can still kind of be a part and see those conversations. Uh, so currently, all that conversation takes place at ALA Connect, which is Connect. Dot ala dot org. And you can create an account and kind of see the conversations and participate um, in some of those conversations with the groups that are, are interested in gaming without actually being a member of ALA or being from the United States. And so you're still able to kind of see and participate and be a part of that community as well, too, even though if you're not from this area. So you talked also, um, Brian, a little bit about your game. Um, I remember in episode 19 you talked a little bit about the fact that um, you were in the process of designing it, or you'd finished designing it, and that you were looking forward to it being published in the future. I guess that future is is looming quickly on the horizon. Um, what is your game, and you know, when are we going to see it? What is it? 
Well, and, and is this the same game? That's a big question because a lot of game designers <laughs> jump from game to game, never finishing anything. So, yeah. Thinking about anyone in particular, Dom? <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, no, it is the same game. Uh, it's Freedom the Underground Railroad. Uh, it's coming out from Academy Games. It's a card driven, cooperative, historical game uh, for one to four players. It's, um, it's about the Underground Railroad. It, players are abolitionists, uh, they're working together to kind of help build and finance uh, the abolitionist movement while also helping um, slaves escape through the Underground Railroad up north to Canada. And you're trying to balance these two victory conditions over the course of the game while dealing with uh, negative events um, and influences that happen to kind of the political and the, the, the landscape of the times, as well as dealing with slave catchers that are kind of traveling across the board as you're trying to help move the slaves across the path to freedom um, on, on the board game itself. Uh, so we actually, I'm excited because we've got a Kickstarter, which is launching the weekend of the 12th of July. Um, and that will be coming out, and we're going to have a lot of great stuff kind of being offered through there on Kickstarter as a way to kind of introduce and I, I believe we're doing kind of it's kind of like a pre-order system so the game's um definitely something that's going to be happening and we're using that as a, an avenue for introducing it to lots of people and uh, doing pre-order type of thing fantastic so are you are you doing this yourself is it something that you're doing in conjunction with the publisher um, what's the story there? Oh, it's, it's not something that I'm doing with myself. Uh, it is with Academy Games. They're a historical, more traditionally war game, and I think they're expanding their repertoire to be more of a historical kind of game publishing company. Uh, so I, uh, started the process a couple of years ago. I think this game's been in the works for about three years now. And, uh, initially when I was kind of in early alpha with the game, um, I went to, uh, game group gathering called Protospiel, which is a gathering of game designers and game publishers where you come and you play each other's prototypes um, and you provide feedback and ideas and thoughts. And so while I was there, um, I had some really uh, good game designers uh, sit down, play my game and absolutely tear it to shreds and smithereens and rip it apart, but in a wonderfully positive way. Um, <laughs> And one of those people, <laughs> one of those people was the the publisher uh, for Academy Games, and uh, he said, "Well, this is really a great idea. It's still kind of very young, but you know, get back in touch with me uh, when you think you know that it's a little bit further along." Um, and so I sat on it, um, and I ran into one of the game designers uh, at uh, Gen Con later that year, Kevin Nunn, um, who did Duck Duck Go, Rolling Freight, and a few other games as well too. And he saw me, and he remembered me. He said, hey, you did that Underground Railroad game. I was really interested in that. Where did that go? How is that going? And that in and of itself was a huge um, kind of nod of confidence. or just It made me feel great because here's this guy who, you know, I, I, I really enjoy his work. He remembered who I am, you know. And um, it was really interested in that kind of concept and idea that I had. So I kind of let him know where I was going. And he had provided the best bit of feedback out of everyone because – You've got kind of, you're moving, there's a bit of a puzzle aspect with, you know, you've got these slaves in the plantations that you need to move along paths up to Canada, you know, from city to city and, and place to place. And you have kind of slave catchers that were 
were moving across the board. And that was one of the things I always struggled with was how, how do they move or what's a great way to make them move? And there were so many different iterations of how the slave catchers moved. And I had a, a, a very kind of randomized one uh, at Protospiel. And his feedback was, he goes, you know, the slave catcher movement, it's dumb. And I said, oh. He said, no, 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 it's not like a dumb thing that you're doing. It's just they move dumbly. That's not smart movement. They should move more smart. And so that bit of, that bit kind of was what helped my game go from an interesting idea to something that the publisher was interested in because it helped it evolve that next step. And so I took and I made it smart movement where now it's kind of in reaction to the movement of the slaves. So as slaves move from space to space to space, they affect the space that they finish their movement on. And there are kind of slave catcher paths, color-coded paths that are connected to those spaces. So when a slave finishes movement on a space, if there's a colored path, it draws that slave catcher one space towards the slave that did that movement. It kind of, you know, drew his attention. And it may possibly capture um, and send slaves back to the plantations if they move into a space where a slave is. So I, you know, I kind of told him all of these things at Gen Con, and um, he was like, that is fantastic. That's a really great idea. And that's when I then got in touch with the publisher. That gave me the confidence to get back in touch with the publisher, and um, he loved it, and it just kind of went from there. Sounds fantastic. So when uh, can we expect to see it on Kickstarter? Uh, so, it, yeah, it'll be coming up on Kickstarter. The, we, it should be up the weekend of uh, July 12th, 13th, 14th. Um, right now, we, you know, we finished all the uh, videos and we're, we worked out the um, pledge levels. And so we have some people that are helping put together the actual pledge page itself. So it should be up this weekend. Um, and then it'll be up for about a month. The plan is to have kind of a soft debut at Gen Con with a strong fall release. I got a question about the game. So it's a game about slaves escaping and heading up north. However, you couldn't have the slave drivers or the slave catchers be played by a player character, I guess, or by a player. I guess that would seem kind of awkward or wrong. So how did you come up with the mechanism of Hey, Donald's not going to be the one who's chasing slaves up and down the, the east coast of the country. No, that's that's a really good point. Um, since the beginning, it's been you know uh, a challenge to make sure that because it is a bit of it, it's a sensitive topic um, and an area, but I think it's one that you know shouldn't necessarily be shied away from exploring because I think it's a great uh, place to go. Um, you know, I was inspired by um, kind of. The serious design movement that's happening in, in, in video games, in the digital space, and there's also some people in the analog space as well, too, that are kind of taking that concept of looking at slightly more kind of serious topics that, that have a little bit more depth and meaning to them as well, too. So, for example, um, I went to see at the Museum of Play here in Rochester, uh, Brenda Brathwaite, who's designed uh, a number of uh, kind of games that are kind of between art and game. Um, and she was talking about her game Train, which was about kind of the Holocaust. Um, and it's a very much an experience game, uh, which kind of is meant to give you that emotional connection that kind of a tabletop game can do. So that kind of inspired me to take a look at this concept that had come up because working in education in the classrooms, I always find these niche areas of, oh, wouldn't it be fantastic to have a game about this, to engage kids with this concept or this idea? And so kind of early American history is something I've always enjoyed. And, um, you know, the Underground Railroad is, is rich with history and games like 1960 and those really help 
kids and players connect with uh, the history and the space, especially if you're using people and events, primary source images, and those kinds of things. So when I started with this, I knew it was going to be a sensitive topic. I knew it was something that I had to handle. And every step, every nuance, I've really tried to think and deal with those issues best. And so one of the things is, you know, it needed to be a cooperative game, which is what it is, because you're right, someone can't be the slave catcher. You can't have one person, you know, being like, yes, I've captured those slaves, because as a concept, as a theme, that that doesn't work. That doesn't handle the subject matter, I think, appropriately. And so, yeah, um, you know, making those slave catchers a mechanism uh, was very important. And and I should note, I mean, this is a game about the abolitionist movement. That's really what it is at its core, is a game about abolitionism. Slavery is a part of that story, most definitely, but it's not necessarily a game about slavery. Slavery just is a part of that story, but really, you are abolitionist. You are working to build that as a movement, to build it uh, its strength politically, as well as to help do the different kind of aspects and deeds that you need to do in the game to help make that happen. And that includes helping you know, slaves move and escape the, their plight in the plantations in the South and help them uh, get free. So it's a very positive kind of message, and it's a very hard game as well, too. Um, and it's a, it's a struggle, and I think that's important that it carries that the difficulty and the struggle of a hard game, which cooperative games allow you to do, um, is kind of make a hard game that's difficult to beat, that you're, you're working against the mechanisms. And I think that reflects thematically as well, too. Well, it sounds really interesting, and I like the the idea of taking um, a subject that is obviously uh, sensitive, but it's also, you know, it's not something you want to swept swept under the rug either, and and not remembered, not recalled, not talked about, and not used because um, these are important issues, and it's important to remember where we come from in order to contextualise how important the changes have been since then. So, fantastic to see that you're taking such a serious topic, and um, you know exploring it in this way. Yeah, I mean, that that was definitely a goal with, with the design was, you know, giving people an opportunity to really explore the, the space, the people, the events, and, and, and come away with, I mean, at its heart, it's a, it's a game. It was designed to be a game. It's a, it's a, I think it's a good game, and but it also gives people something to walk away with, like, like, Twilight Struggle, like 1960, like some of those historical card games, you know, there's a there's really great game there. Uh, there's wonderful mechanisms and, and, and gameplay, but you're also coming away knowing a lot more about that space, that era, those people, those events, how they impacted and influenced that. You know, with my game, there's a deck of abolitionist cards that you're using on top of other resources to kind of influence the game um, politically and financially and and kind of the movement on the board. And all of those are the people and the events um, that kind of impacted and influenced that time and space between 1800 and 1865. Uh, during which the game takes place. So you're really kind of exploring and discovering all these these people that, you know, go beyond the initial kind of what we recall from from what we learned in school with, you know, Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass. And it goes deeper into some more characters and events and people that that were important and as you said shouldn't be forgotten. That sounds fantastic. Well, thanks very much, Brian, uh, for joining us on another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries, and we would love to have you back to talk about uh, more uh, to do with both the ALA and uh, game design. That would be fantastic. I'd like to go ahead and and give a shout-out to the companies that either were there giving support at ALA or who brought 
you know, who simply sent things to help make this process a little easier and a little more fun for the participants. So who was there on site? What game companies were there? Uh, so on site, Paizo Publishing was there. Um, we had resources and games sent by both Mayfair, Stronghold Games, and uh, USAopoly uh, helped support us and send resources for us as well. So a big thanks to them. But without their support, and uh, I definitely, you know, the event would be slightly lesser. Right, and so now we've got uh, certainly got some of those games in the library for ALA, so they'll be traveling wherever that game's library goes. But one, one of the things I thought was pretty interesting was that Mayfair provided some maps or mats that they had to help make teaching their games a little bit easier. They did. They had um, some demo mats set up to help uh, kind of demo the games, um, which definitely were conducive to kind of that kind of large open gaming environment for people that are running the games or even for people that want to just sit down and do a quick setup of the game. It gets them kind of uh, a quick end to, to getting playing, which is very helpful as well, too. They were also great because they sent Catan plushies. They sent copies of the Catan uh, kind of uh, location maps. They have different kind of little mini expansion maps for like Pennsylvania and New York and different areas, um, as well as a bunch of posters. They were, they were uh, wonderfully supportive for the event. Oh, man, I really wish I'd been there now. I could have gotten a plushie. <laughs> Those were incredibly popular. We People were were, uh, were giving each other wood all the time. Oh, oh, we had to go there. <laughs> so, yes, but I know that these uh, play mats and stuff are available if you're trying to you know, teach games in schools or if you've got you know maybe a, a history segment or something that's appropriate for one of them, then they're, they're happy to, to send those out to you. And also that stores, if you're a store who's listening to this, they, they will sometimes provide those to you. So, you know, for schools or libraries, contact Mayfair. Let them know what you're doing. And if it's appropriate, then if they belong to that, then sometimes they'll help you out with those. And I don't know if there's a, a nominal fee because I've just used basic Catan at our library. But it's it's possible that, that those are available either for free or for a very, very nominal price. So... Before we go away, do you want to have Brian tell people where he can be found on the internet so they can find him and talk to him? So, Brian, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you can be found on the interwebs. Um, so, I am Brian Merritt, Gaming Library Technology Specialist. I uh, work for the School Library System at Genesee Valley Educational Partnership. Um, you can find me, B. Mayor, on Board Game Geek. I also have a slightly lost loved uh, blog, which may get revisited now that this game design of mine has been finished, which is librarygamer.wordpress.org. Um, and also, you can find uh, the gaming library site that, for my work at gvlibraries.org slash gaming. All right. Thank you very much for joining us. Woohoo! All right. Well, thanks again, Brian, for joining us um, in this episode of Games and Schools and Libraries. And uh, as I said, we'd love to have you back to talk again about um, game design and some of those other things that you've been involved with. Uh, until next time, this is Giles Pritchard. And Donald Dennis. And Brian Mayer. And you've been listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. Games in Schools and Libraries is kindly hosted by the Games for Educators website. You can find them at www.g4ed.com. You can subscribe to their newsletter, check out games through their game finder, and of course, it's the home of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. Drop by and post comments on the episodes. We love feedback.
Games and stores and libraries is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. To view a copy of this license, visit our webpage at the Games for Educators website.